the blast from our past network. Hey everybody, Corey here. Before we kick off this amazing interview with the incredibly talented Mark Ralston, who you all know as Boggs from The Shawshank Redemption and Drake from Aliens. Oh my god, guys, come on. Aliens is my favorite movie of all time, so you know I'm losing my mind right now. But I wanted to let you all know that this interview could not be possible without our patron members. You guys and gals all make this every bit of podcasting after dark possible. And we thank you all immensely for your support every single month. If you want to know what you can find on our Patreon page, well, this interview right here is a prime example of that. But we have a whole bunch of other interviews over there as well. That's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can listen to us talk to Tom Matthews from Return of the Living Dead in Friday the 13th Part 6, uh, Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night, Tony Timpone, the longtime editor of Fangoria Magazine, Diane Franklin from Terror Vision, Zach Ward, Brian Usna, Jeanette Goldstein, you know, Vasquez from Aliens. We got the other, uh, the two heavy machine gunners at this point, uh, John Fieldman, Tom Holland, the, the director, not Spider-Man, uh, Jonathan Stark, composer Richard Band, and more to come. So if you like this interview with Mark Ralston, we really hope you check out our Patreon page, and that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark again that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark and you will get one interview a month as well as another show called wrap up after dark and every episode of our podcast is completely ad free over there and you get you know early access all kinds of goodies over on our patreon page so we hope that you guys check it out we hope that this uh that you enjoy this interview and uh gives you reason to go check out our patreon page so thank you all and and without further ado, here is Mark Ralston. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Aliens, Shawshank Redemption, The Departed, and Survival Quest. Actor, Mark Rolston. Mark Rolston, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is um, a real treat for Corey and I because we interviewed uh, Jeanette Goldstein uh, earlier this year. Was it this year, Corey? Feels like it's been a blur. <laughs> At this point, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. <laughs> um, and and we had her on, and she was, you know, said so many nice things about you. And I, I think after we we finished the interview, I was talking to Corey, and Corey's like, if we can get anybody for our show, uh, Mark Ralston's like the top of my list. I said, okay. Aww. Right, that's well, the that's direct sweet. quote, right, Corey? You said yes, that. that yes, wow. that that is the direct quote. Um, just uh, uh, just so you know, I I was born in '78, and I saw Aliens in the theater at eight years old. My dad uh, took me to it, and <laughs> it has led to a, as I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say, 
a lifelong just love affair with that just amazing movie that holds up so well even to today. And, uh, you know, obviously you were a huge part of my just love and fascination with that film. I loved, uh, you know, Drake and Vasquez's relationship together. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeanette was was awesome. She was talking about, you know, uh, building the backstory between the two characters and everything and and her audition process with the, the movie and James Cameron and whatnot. And I was hoping that you could... Also, you know, fill in a little bit of a backstory of, of Drake and how, you know, you sort of came up with the character, or w- what you brought to the table with the character. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was living in England at the time, as Jeanette was, and uh, but I wasn't a competitive bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I had trained in England and I was, you know, working and, you know, got a call one day. They said, hey, there's a script we need you to read and you're going to go meet... Um, Gail Ann Hurd out at Pinewood Studios. And so, you know, um, I, the, the sides I got, I didn't actually see the whole script, you know. And it was kind of fascinating, sci-fi, I knew nothing about it. Um, but went in to see Gail, and, you know, she started off the interview with the proverbial, you know, so what have you been up to? And I'd just come off a movie called Revolution with Al Pacino. I love that movie, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, um, <laughs> Even if you don't, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was it was a grand scale. I just don't. I I just thought Pacino was awful. But, yeah. No, uh, I agree. It's it's. Yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 the scale of the movie and uh, you know the production values were just absolutely incredible. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. Um, but the funny thing was, so I she said, "What have you been up to?" I said, "Well, you know, I just finished this movie Revolution, and I went on to tell a tale, a tall tale, <laughs> that lasted about twenty minutes, and it rolled right off of my tongue, and I made it sound as though I had the next best role in the film to Al Pacino, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those stream of consciousness things, and." She obviously bought it because a week <laughs> later, um, you know, she said, oh, you're going to go in and meet Jim Cameron. And I didn't really know. I'd seen Terminator, but it really wasn't like Jim Cameron was in my brain. I mean, Schwarzenegger was in my brain and Terminator was in my brain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I meet Jim. And uh, at that time, we had any, any guys, I think the girls, too, if you auditioned, you were all reading Hudson's part. Oh, okay. So we <laughs> all read Hudson. And then Jim says to me, okay, um, here, just take this, take these sides. I want you to read this part and just go outside for five minutes and come back in. And I was like, okay. Came back in, read. He said, thanks a lot. I thought, oh, well. (laughs) Then about a week or so later, uh, I get a call saying, oh, you're going into Pinewood to re-meet Jim Cameron and Gail Inherd. And I walk into their office uh, on a sound stage at Pinewood, and was completely oh, but the night before, I finally got the whole script, and I wow. can tell you, it being a page turner, it, it doesn't even do it justice. This mm. this film, I mean, just reading it, it just flew by. I mean, you couldn't stop, and I mean, just flipping pages, yeah. and then um, when I entered the office. The most amazing thing was was that Jim had uh, plastered the walls of his office with a complete storyboard. You know, you know, Jim's a very fine artist, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had the storyboard plastered in sequence around the four walls of his office, the entire film. 
And it was just, I was completely overwhelmed. They sat me down. They said, listen, we want you to play the role of Drake. And I was like, wow, okay. They said, with one caveat, um, you got to get in the gym and we need to beef you up. And I, I was in shape, but I was only like 185, 87 pounds. Okay. And so three months prior to filming, I was the lone representative actor uh, working out five days a week um, with one of the trainers and actually the man who was a stuntman who was the muscle behind uh, the power loader, you know, when, when, when Sigourney was in mm -hmm. that big yellow machine mm -hmm. yeah. that was actually powered by this, I can't remember his name either, it really befuddles me, but he was this massive Northern England guy who lived on a farm and he had biceps <laughs> the size of both my thighs. Wow. So he... He, he beefed me up, and they had me drinking amino acid elixir, and God, I was eating at Pinewood, you know, because you could go crazy. They said, okay, you work out for five hours, then we go, okay, time for lunch, and, you know, I'd go eat two steaks. Jeez. Um, so by the end of it all, I beefed up to about 235. Oh, wow. wow. And it was, I mean, you can see from the film, it, it wasn't fat. It was like I was just Oh, yeah, lean. Muscle. Oh, boy. So, uh, um, yeah, that, that was the start of it all. And then it wasn't until a few weeks uh, before filming that the American actors uh, from L.A. came over. And I finally met Jeanette. And, uh, yeah, and Jeanette and I sat down and we worked out, you know, the entire backstory. And um, it served, I mean, aside from the fact our relationship was really cemented by the fact that um, while in between takes, everybody else was like fucking off and having a good time and listening to Bill Paxton and Paul Reiser tell <laughs> jokes. Jeanette and I were stuck on these stools with the uh, smart gun, you know, firmly attached to our bodies. It was like in between takes, Jim, we, we couldn't like de-rig and rig and de-rig and rig. Yeah. So Jeanette and I became very close friends. <laughs> because we were stuck with each other. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, we, uh, the, the work that we did in just filling out our backstory um, really cemented what I created for Drake, which was that, you know, I was just a conscript. I took on the mission just because it was a chance to get out of, like, you know, you know prison. And uh, because my friend, you know, Vasquez was going to go, I was going to go and have her back. And so the only person that I really answered to, I mean, I'd, I'd do the military thing, but the only person that I would follow and look up to was Vasquez. And um, for, my, for myself, I really had not a lot of time for anybody else on the crew. Um, I was there doing my job and just taking the opportunity to get out of prison and do something different. Yeah. So, and, and the, the cool thing, did, did you also decorate uh, your, you know, your slash Drake's uh, locker as well with like, you know, your yeah. personal accoutrements and everything? Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a great time. It was like one afternoon after, you know, rehearsing, Jim goes, okay, everybody pack up your stuff, come follow me. <laughs> and we traipse across Pinewood Studios. We go to this, you know, where the art department was, we go up these rickety old stairs and there's this big room with paintbrushes and buckets of things and leather straps and feathers and and bones and whatnot and jim was like okay 
you guys decorate all your shit. I'll see you later. And he takes off. <laughs> it was crazy. But then, you know, so I started making myself my bone necklace and the bones yeah. hanging off my hat. And, and cool. um, you know, it was amazing. Like when we finished the film, I, I got all that stuff. I had all of it. Oh, you kept it? And I, yeah. Wow. And sadly, after a divorce, <laughs> my ex, who is, is a lovely woman, she's a great woman, but she, uh, I was once offered like $150,000 for Drake's stuff. And I decided I'd give her a call to see if she still had it in a garage. And she went, no, I threw that away. Oh, no. Oh. And I was like, oh, spite. My name is a woman. Yeah. Ooh. It's sad so, to say uh, I've been down that road once before, but not, not to the yes. tune of that number. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. so have I, but not, uh, not to yeah. that ex- extreme. Uh, I, I will, you know, in the Drake saga on, on a positive note and say that, you know, even as eight-year-old me, that mm. was not at all lost on me. Like immediately I could tell that Drake and Vasquez were just, you know, the, as thick as thieves at, at eight. You don't know if they're, if they're, you know, lovers or whatever it is, but you can mm. tell that they're thick. Yeah. And, and that was just so awesome. And uh, <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that uh, I always tell my wife, whenever we get a dog, I want to name him Drake. Just, ah! whenever we, <laughs> just, just so whenever <laughs> we leave the house, I can say, Drake, we are leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is great. <laughs> oh, <you>. that's great. <laughs> and, and I do, I, again, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention, um, I am from Maryland. Uh, I went oh, to, yeah. yeah, I went to Towson University right outside oh, of Baltimore. Uh, grew up in sweet. Olney. Yeah. Do you ever get back to Baltimore at all? Do you ever make it back? To yeah, Baltimore? for sure. Yeah. my Thankfully, my father and stepmother are still alive and they're in a uh, facility called Charlestown in Catonsville. Oh, yeah, yep, yep, Catonsville, yeah. nice, awesome. And my I, father, I was... you know, my father was born in Baltimore, I was born in Baltimore, I, you know, I was born in St. Agnes Hospital, and uh, yeah, the facility my dad's at is literally half a mile away from the hospital, oh, and we, my dad grew up off of uh, Wilkins Avenue on a little street called Pratt Street. Yep, oh, wow, And yep. uh, yeah, my pop actually uh, wrote a book just about you know, growing up in Baltimore and uh, how, you know, one's thriving sort of industrial working class port town um, became ravaged by crack. Mm, yeah. And because uh, my father had gone back one time uh, just to, you know, see his childhood home. Mm-hmm. And he was just shocked that, you know, it was just run down and dilapidated. And a lot What's of his memories. Of the... was... What's the name of the book? It's uh, 50 years B.C., 50 years before crack. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Okay. Great title. Okay. I yeah. mean, unfortunately. Yeah. And he actually, yeah, he actually got a really great review from the Baltimore Sun um, as a sort of source for information about Baltimore. And, um, you know, I lived there till I was about six or seven, and then we moved to Bethesda, which is right outside of dc yeah so i really kind of grew up a dc boy but absolutely i i I go back in fact you know in these times of uh covid uh you know we all have had plans be dashed yeah and uh i had so many plans this year (laughs) um i was due to go see my new granddaughter who came in february and she's in england so that was dashed and then i was at an event 
signing event I was going to go to in Chicago and then go see my girls in New York and then go see my dad. And so that's, I, I, I will be making a trip soon, as soon as we get a vaccine and get through these times. Yeah, my same here. I was actually going to take my wife. Um, she grew up in Los Angeles and uh, she's from a Latina family. And mm -hmm. I was going to take her home this summer for her first crab feast. She was oh. you know, th <laughs> so thrilled. <laughs> we were going to drink, you know, yinglings and, and yeah. crabs and, and Old Bay. And, and we were going to take a day to go up to New York and go see the Ghostbusters firehouse. You know, just do the whole mm -hmm. thing. Show her the East Coast, you know, and everything. And yeah. uh, yep, yep. That'll be a 2021 uh, event now. <laughs> yeah. But man, what a thing to look forward to. I have to say, uh, yeah, you know, uh, in fact, when I last visited my pop, we got a couple dozen crabs and my daughter came down from New York, my middle daughter, and just had a feast, just the four of us and a friend of my father's. And oh my God, what an experience. And I, oh, it's, nothing it's, like it, man. Nothing, nothing like, like it. Your, your hands get all cut up and it's just, yeah. it's, it's great. It's awesome. So yeah. Yeah, man. And so, in fact, in fact, the, the next day we didn't quite finish up the, the two dozen. So the next day I picked about six of them and then for brunch, I made my father like um, uh, crab cakes oh, with oh. Uh, poached eggs, and I made him hollandaise sauce. Oh, man, and it was like, oh my god! Well, yeah. well, we're we're not sponsored by them, but uh, G and M in yeah, G and M, hell yeah, yep. Yeah. You can you, you can they will ship you uh, crab cakes like you know overnight with the the dry ice yeah. and everything and man yeah. those things are huge with like they're like like five percent filling it's like ninety five percent <laughs> crab meat it's insane so yeah ev everyone yeah. out there go to G and M uh, grab a crab cake it's fantastic <laughs> oh for real I, I, I seriously I, the, whenever I would go visit my dad we'd go play a little golf go to GNM and have mm. uh, lunch and that's uh, awesome <laughs> and we found and we found another place though in Glen Burnie called Seaside um, I, I know that I did I did a stint in uh, a stint I I, uh, I lived <laughs> in Glen Burnie uh, and that's probably is a little bit of a stint but I lived in, in, in the burn uh, for for a couple years so I know exactly what you're talking about and Seaside is awesome man oh, and they and, yeah. and they ship as well and and luckily um, you know the crabs are coming back. It's like for a while there, it yeah. was really dicey. The supplies were being depleted and yep. God, they cost an absolute, they still do cost a fortune. I think I paid for two dozen plus some other little, the corn and whatever else we had. It was yeah. like $300. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're not those feasts are not cheap. So, uh, but yeah. maybe maybe one of these days our our paths will cross at G and M. <laughs> that would be fascinating. Well, you know, it's funny because my my wife is Latina too. Okay. And when we first met, and we were, uh, in fact, it was just after Shawshank. She had, in fact, had uh, visited me on the set of Shawshank. We then traveled by car from Ohio to New York to uh, where I met her family, and then down to uh, uh, Maryland. Uh, my dad was living down at St. Leonard, uh, down off the Patuxent. And uh, and for sure, we, we, we went and had crabs, and that's been my wife's thing ever since. Like, like if, I, if I need to make up to her, I say, honey, how about a crab dinner? Oh, okay. And she, and she figures everything. I just spent $300 on this thing for you. Come on now. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, uh, you know, there, out of out of all the tragedy that's going on right now. Obviously, there there are some positives to look at in the fact that you are a grandfather, and and now your dad is a great grandfather, which is yeah. uh, you know Mazel tov to that. That's a big Thank deal. You. Um, you know, it's always 
special to to be able to reflect on the the positive things that are coming out of it. You're working on your house, which is kind of a cool thing because it's yeah. allowed you the time to do that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I know it, it, it's kind of it's kind of wild, but um, there are upsides and there are many downsides. Yes. I mean, you know, sadly, my wife uh, she had this um, family yoga studio primarily for prenatal postnatal women, mm. but she included families and kids and. And she had had the business for 12 years. And then, boom, nobody is going to come and sit in a room, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. working out these days. So, sadly, she had to shut down her business. Um, and, you know, I, I, there, there's so many stories that have yet to been be told about the real heartache and hardship that a lot of us are going through. Not myself and I, I you know I'm, I don't I say that gloatingly I, I just say no. it's weird how uh, I'm benefiting from this lockdown and I'll just share briefly when we got locked down I turned and said to my wife I said you know something if we're going to be locked down like this I can bet you that Shawshank is going to play on an endless loop <laughs> and that is true I mean you know everyone's just devouring whatever content there is is because you know we're closed up but uh um it's a benefit to me but um a lot of hardship for people and i i don't think it's quite over yet so well i i that's it's uh it's interesting you bring up Shawshank because that film, uh, I was talking to our engineer before we went on the air about Shawshank and saying how that was a, a staple for me for so long. Hmm. Uh, but it's such a, and it's one of my favorite short stories of Stephen King as well. Um, but, and it's such a tragic yet hopeful story. And you can kind of connect that to what's going on right now. Um, you know, the tragedy yeah. and, and the subsequent hope that we all have. Um, you know, I'm not going to, we're recording this a week after uh, Biden was elected, and that's I'm not going to toot that any that much. But I'm I pretty thrilled about that personally. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. and so there's this idea, and that you know, uh, I have a six year old son, and framing this current state of affairs for a six year old is very interesting. Um, you know, because you have to. In my opinion, you have to do it in a way that's not going to terrify him, but also make him realize the severity of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And it allows Absolutely. you to reflect in a way uh, to, 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 so it's understandable, yet hopeful at the same time, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. But Absolutely. Listen, can I just say, Biden-Harris! <laughs> Biden-Harris! <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, so many people had, you know, Weird, crazy, nasty things to say about Joe Biden, but I'm telling you, he is the right man at the right time. Yep. Trust me. And all of us have felt like such a tremendous relief that this fascist orange bozo can just disappear. <laughs> he should just disappear. He should just yeah. go the fuck away. Yeah. I'm, you know, and and I know, and, and with true worry, you know. Yeah. You know, entering this election. I mean, I, I you know, it's only a few weeks ago, but you remember that Tuesday night, right? Oh, yeah. I didn't sleep. <laughs> I my God, like, and I just, I, I slept, but I said, I said to my, I went to a buddy's and I said, look, they're just saying the same thing over and over again. We're not going to know for days. Let's just yeah. go home, go to sleep, and maybe we'll wake up to something great. 
six o'clock, you know, boom, I turn on the TV, and the first thing I see is Michigan goes blue. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, he was 240,000 votes down last night. What? <laughs> oh, man. So, so really, but it, it's such a tremendous relief, and not because it's like us against them. It's like we got to get something done, folks. Yep. Got to get something done. You know this. The, the, you know our system. It, it's kind of strange. Like 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 we we can't afford to be in gridlock no. any longer. No. Yeah. So and and I'm especially happy for you guys because you've got young kids, right? Yeah. And my my kids are young, you know, but they're in their twenties and thirties. Yeah. But we still have work to do. <laughs> we do, and 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 I think you know I just I, it's funny you bring that up because I just read um, uh, Joe Biden's biography his his wife wrote a book about his his childhood a picture book mm. for kids and uh maybe something your granddaughter might want to read mm. four four years down the road perhaps um you know and if he's <laughs> quite possibly our current and uh president during that term as well but mm. it's it's a fascinating story and it's a hopeful story in this in and you know i was telling my son i said look you're going to look back on this time and and this it's going to be it's going to change you in some ways you know and you yeah. have but but the kids ultimately have the power to go out and and make some dramatic changes and hopefully this book insp- the, the book really inspired him and he got really excited about it and um that's great yeah so look <laughs> yeah Corey and I have talked ad nauseum about this stuff and we just think you know it's nice to be able to smile for 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 a change yeah. uh even if yeah. it's still a hesitant smile <laughs> um, but also not not having to suffer the anxiety day-to-day anxiety yeah although although you know this this guy he's he's going to go out kicking and screaming and he's going to he's going to try a whole lot of shenanigans but it was heartening to see that so many Americans i mean really this was a backdoor landslide repudiation of four years of nonsense yes and that's yeah. what i gotta say well, okay. do you think do you think he's gonna be kicking and screaming like boggs was uh when he uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like that you like yeah that? getting getting get, getting back to the movie i tell you um <laughs> um you know the interesting thing about uh uh, uh like that 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 scene you know i, I actually got whacked you know, it, it, when when they were hauling me out of the the prison cell, really? like they uh, one of the actors, Jude, can't remember his last name, but uh, you know they had these rubber truncheons, mm-hmm. but he whacked me right in the eyeball with Ooh. it, and um, you know instantly I was like, oh, what the hell? And I could feel my eye just go whoop, and they stopped shooting, got me ice. I'm sitting there, and sure enough, like a real like a real Hollywood director. Frank Darabont comes over and he goes, hey, man, are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. He's like, he said, can I see it? And I, I took the ice pack off and he went, wow, that looks really gay, great. Can we shoot? <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you actually see me, you know, with the fucked up face, yeah. that was for real. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and they had to, they had to shuttle around a couple other scenes that were coming up for me. Because I had to wait until, you know, my, my, it didn't go like severely black, but just, you know, dark enough. They had to wait for the swelling to go down and the blueness to go away. 
Um, and of course, the guy uh, uh, Jude felt awful, but uh, it, it made the scene <laughs> very real, very riveting. It, it did. I mean, that movie is. Uh, I think you know, ninety four was such a tricky year, and and I know it's debatable, mm. debatable for a lot of people as far as awards go, award ceremonies go, and whatnot. <laughs> I remember that was the first year as a kid, uh, not a, as a kid, but a teenager, young adult watching the Academy Awards going, yeah, I don't know if I buy this because mm-hmm. uh, because Shawshank for me, I think quite possibly is one of the greatest films of the 90s. It's definitely mm-hmm. one of the greatest movies of the 90s. It's one of the greatest films uh, of recent years. Uh, I think it will, I think it's a national treasure. Uh, I think it mm-hmm. be, and, and it's, and it's beautiful. Uh, Stephen King is, he's such an interesting guy because he writes his heartfelt stories like Stand By Me and and Shawshank, uh, you know, really hit home and and stay with you, uh, yeah. And and that film, like you're a part of this this historical piece, really. Um, it is an honor, uh, you know, uh, King's writing and Frank Darabont's adaptation, uh, and I was just recounting a story to the, the my plumber who's been helping me out here today. Um, that, you know, that film would not even get made today. You wouldn't even get financing for that. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, it is like you were saying earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's a story about hope, a friendship, uh, that life can go on and that we can, you know, free ourselves of, you know, bonds of prison and, self-doubt and everything else but uh amazing amazing time because they they really produced the movie in the right way and i i I say this a lot in interviews but it's true the three movies that i'm most proud of all have one thing in common and that is that they rehearsed the actors prior to shooting Mm. we spent almost a month rehearsing shawshank and I mean literally as if we were in the theater. The, Frank had taped off, you know, portions of the mess hall at the prison. And uh, we would come in and improvise and work the scenes. And so consequently, I'm sure you guys have read the, the, the final shooting script book that Darabont mm-hmm. put together. Yeah, I, yeah, I have. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that Frank acknowledged me for some of my greatest lines because... <laughs> They all came out in improvisation with Tim Robbins. Really? Oh, and wow. yeah, yeah. And in fact, when you read the book, I mean, Frank actually says, "I can't take credit for this line. This is Mark Rolston's creation." Um, you know, during rehearsal. That's awesome. Um, so, but but without that, and then and, and so it's something that uh, I talk about on occasions because a lot of movie making and television is just so artificial because. You know, you come on a set, you meet somebody, you don't even know. You say, hey, how are you doing? And boom, then, all right, let's rehearse it once. Okay, we're going to shoot. It's like, whoa, all right. <laughs> and that's the reason why we, we rehearsed uh, two and a bit weeks on Aliens. Okay. And The Departed. Like, and The Departed's funny is because <laughs> you could be rehearsing uh, in front of Martin Scorsese well into the film just because Marty's like that. He would... You could get a call at like 11 o'clock at night. Like, this has happened to me. We were in Boston. I was in the Hilton. My family had come to visit. I get a call at 11 o'clock. 
And uh, it's one of the ADs saying, um, hey, uh, can you go upstairs and just see Marty for a minute? He just wants to hear something. And I'm like, I'm in bed. What's, what's with you guys? He said, no, no, don't, it'll, it'll be real quick. It'll be real quick. And I was like, okay, get dressed, go upstairs. <laughs> Marty's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, 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 I just want to hear the line. Just want to hear the line. Uh, okay, now go. Okay, great, great, great. Thanks, thanks, thanks. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. And I'm like, wow. He's he, he's the Energizer Bunny man. Like, oh yeah, totally. Martin Scorsese. Oh my <laughs> God. He just fascinating, fascinating person and uh, energy like you would not believe. Oh, he, I, but, he he's always had that too, right? He's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just uh, like you know, and 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 Cameron has a similar thing. Yep. You know, when we were doing Aliens, uh, I remember it was a day. I was going to go do my death scene. And it was the first, uh, one of the first days of shooting. And as I was walking through the sound stage, I had a really super early call, like 4.30 in the morning. And uh, so they could put on the death appliance. And as I'm walking through the sound stage, there's just a faint light at the other end. And as I'm walking through, I notice it's Jim with just a little, like, shoulder light. And he's taking notes, looking at the APC set. Oh, mm. And I shouted, I said, hey, Jim, good morning. And he was so focused. He didn't even hear me. Wow. Didn't even hear me. That's awesome. And wow. I just thought, wow, this dude is really clued in. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, that's the thing about Jim Cameron. He is an absolute genius uh, with unbounded energy for his films. And he knows exactly what he wants and exactly how to get it. Um, so real honor to have been in Aliens. And as you mentioned before, what a tremendous piece of film all these years later, and it still yeah. holds up. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. I am me! I am me! Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there. They cut the power. How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. There's movement all over the place. Five meters, man. Four. Aliens. This time, it's war. I took my wife to the Cinespia in you know the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and uh -huh. they showed aliens there. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're with a crowd and everything. And first off, the effects, everything holds up on the screen. And even though everyone has seen it a million times before, you know everyone's quiet during the appropriate parts. Everyone's laughing yeah. during the appropriate part. It's still engaging even mm -hmm. to today. And you know, I, I always tell everyone, you know, uh, for me, Star Wars is life, but. Aliens is my single favorite movie of all time. Um, but wow. I, I, I do have to ask. I do have to ask because Jeanette did have a hot take on it. Um, <laughs> is eight year old is eight years old too young to see aliens? And if so, what is the appropriate age to show my inevitable son uh, aliens? <laughs> I don't think eight years old is so long as you're there with him and holding his hand at uh, appropriate yeah. moments. <laughs> um, okay. But you know that this is a fascinating thing. Um, 
you know, generationally, uh, aliens is just being turned over to each successive generation. And I've met, I've met younger than eight years old, mm. the little kids that come up to you at a signing event, they're going, I saw you in that movie. And I'm like, <laughs> do I turn to the parents like, you let them watch this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right>. But um, <laughs> I mean, because because I recall being at the premiere of Alien, sitting next to Bill Paxton, and when the first time the Alien popped out, um, we watched the all the suits, all the penguins, like <laughs> leap into the air in total horror. And Paxton Paxton turns over. I mean, he's like, Mark, this is gonna be incredible. <laughs> Oh man! Just um, yeah. also the fact that Bill Paxton. Oh, it's, I wish he was yeah. still. Obviously, wish he was still alive today because he's such man. such a. Um, but you, you, all three of those films also have in common the fact that they're phenomenal ensemble casts. You know, yeah. and, and and it's not one person carrying the entire film. They are top to bottom. You know, like sincerely. And so here you are, a part of these tremendous ensembles yeah the rehearsing that makes so much sense um obviously you know being a voice actor i've i've, I've learned that skill uh in the past years training and 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 how important that is just to understand mm -hmm. the craft and and you is that is that your approach going into every film that you do and obviously i mean is that typically what you go for oh absolutely i mean i i trained at a place called the drama center london which is responsible for people like uh, Colin Firth and Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender and myself. And of course I attended school much earlier than they did, but um, no, it was a group of people um, who gave me a foundation that I can take into absolutely any form of entertainment. And um awesome. And I do, and I and I use it. I use it all the time. In fact, when I auditioned for Shawshank, um, the producer Nikki Marvin, and this is in front of Frank, she's like, I, I did my audition, and she says to me, "You trained in England, didn't you?" Hmm. And I was like, "Excuse me, how? It's not on my resume. How the hell do you know that?" She goes, "No, I I can tell. I can tell." And it's true. Um, I was given a classical theater training that was also method-based. Um, and it, it is just, it's been the foundation of my whole career. That's awesome. Um, and it's com completely serendipitous how it all happened. You know, I had gone off to college. I wasn't a great student in high school. And to the point where my father threatened to throw me into military school if I didn't shape up. And then in my senior year, I finally got it together. I got straight A's and I managed to get into college. But, you know, I had no idea of what I wanted to do. And one day walking through the student union building, there was a, you know, a little placard that said, study abroad. Oh, so I peeled off a little postcard and mailed it off and got the prospectus. And uh, I went to this place called Richmond College. And while I was there, I happened to meet uh, a prominent television and theater actor, Anton Rogers in England, and he directed me at a bunch of Chekhov one acts and afterwards said, so what are you doing when you finish this year here? I said, oh, I'll probably just go back and finish my degree, I guess. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, dear boy, you are a real actor. You're going to stay in England and you're going to train properly and I'm going to make sure of that. Mm. And I was completely aghast. I was like, yeah. 
what, wow, are you serious? He is absolutely. In fact, I went, I lived with his family. Oh, wow. Uh, and he, uh, he coached me through my auditions to the point where I got into every single drama school in England, except for the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's the crazy thing, you know, it's, um, how our lives take form and take shape. And like, you know, you, you, you look at your children and your grandchildren, you, 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 you don't, you don't really have a clue. I mean, you have a feelings about some of them. You really have no clue. Yeah. And it's just such an amazing thing to watch life unfold. And, you know, I think back, I worked with some of the greatest directors and greatest actors and cinematographers. Uh, and it's just extraordinary. It's, it's, been, it's been an extraordinary life. And and I'm not done yet. No, I'm still, I'm still, you know, even, even though you know I'm getting longer, longer in the tooth. Um, <laughs> well, well, you're still... Norman Osborn in, in Spider-Man. I mean, that's that's a big yeah. deal. <laughs> that's a major deal. Absolutely. No, I. I it was funny. Get what going. Sorry. Oh, I, I was. Uh, I you were going to say something infinitely more interesting than I was going to say. <laughs> oh no, just, just I was going to segue into uh, you know uh, about seven eight years ago. You know I got into the uh, you know the video motion capture world, and it's really amazing. And another example of how my training supports my career. It's kind of like doing theater in the round because you you have like this this volume, uh, rectangular volume that has like three hundred and 60 cameras all around and they're wow. filming every single part of you and um so with my training i was able to like just segue right into that work um it was like doing theater did, now and, did you do um, the like the mocap stuff for deathstroke 2 or was that mostly for because no. because because norman osborne looks very much like you but you know obviously deathstroke is a little bit more deathstrokey i guess yeah. <laughs> wasn't sure if there was a it, it i i know we all know the technology is evolving behind the scenes but i didn't know if your process uh was changing at all from these games you know as they evolve with the technology too um no, well you're right deathstroke a stunt person up in canada had uh, physicalized the role i just did the voice okay. but in spider-man uh, I absolutely was. It was the complete thing. My voice, my performance. Um, great group of people to work for. I mean, such fun and. Um, but not your games. hair. Not your particular hair. Not my hair. <laughs> yeah. No, not my I, I hair. See, I always see that, and I'm like, I'm like, that's not his hair. Not my hair. No, that looks yeah. like Alan um, Alan Thick's hair from 1987. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> I love it. I'm envious. Yes, but. Uh, <laughs> But um, no, it, it, but it's, it's so fascinating. And, and this, this particular medium is just getting better and better and yeah. better and more cinematic. And it's extraordinary. And it's no wonder, like, I'm not a gamer, um, but I get why people, like, get into it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's just like this incredible visual world that, aside from the fun of playing the game... Um, it's extraordinary and, and just tremendous. Yeah, Corey is yeah. way more of a gamer than I, I'm still. I'm still playing Super Mario Brothers, um, you know, one. <laughs> but uh, but but Corey's way. You're way into games, right, Corey? So yeah. You, well, yeah. I mean, the first time I I played, uh, you know, Spider Man, I was like, is 
is that Drake? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> and then I, 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 would it. Yeah. I was like, okay. You know, but yeah. yeah it, and yeah, it's, it's just amazing now where you can actually recognize, you know, the, the person playing the character and it's, it's awesome. And the, the lines between cinema and, and video games are, are, are bleeding. And I got to imagine that, uh, you know, obviously with the COVID and everything, a lot of people aren't filming physical stuff. So I know, I know we're going to see a lot of animation in the next year or so really explode. But it, I, I imagine it's been really a, a lot of work's been coming in with the VO stuff. Uh, yeah, that's in fact, that's that's pretty much all I've been doing. One week yeah. into the lockdown, my agents called and voiceover agents, they, call, they called and said, hey, you've got to build a uh, home studio. Yeah. And if you don't, you're flat out not going to work. So I managed to do that. And uh, yeah, I've been dubbing films into English and I've been doing, you know, cartoons and other series. And, um, but, but I am, I am back to work on Bosch. I've been doing the, uh, Amazon series Bosch. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, by that's the way. Been, great show. It is yeah, great writing, just yep. great writing and, and yeah. great actors. Um, and it, it's such fun to get back to work. And what's amazing, um, knock on wood, um, you know the production has not had one case. I mean, but we know, mind you, we we test almost four times before you go on the set. Okay, so I was yeah, are, I was going to say we uh, a good friend of mine just went back to work as well on a series, and he was describing to me the process that like mm-hmm. yeah, you were you were testing all the time, right? All the time, all the time. Like it's up up to four times. Three times during the week, then the day before, and then the morning of, you do uh, one of the quick tests. You're always temperature tested. Uh, and even when you're not in an episode, you're on like a seven-day cycle. You get tested once a week at least, and then they ramp up again if you're to come back on an episode. But, you know, it, it's heartening to see people behaving, people wanting to work more than complain about wearing a fucking mask. Come yeah, on. I know, really? I know. Really? You, you know, come on. I, and it, I was going to go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say yeah, that. I was just going to say the reason why Joe Biden is the right person, because yeah. I heard it on uh, NPR yesterday, the entire thrust of what he's going to do, it's not, he's not going to lock down. No. He wants you to wear the damn mask so we can go to work. <laughs> exactly. That, 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 that's what it is. I mean, and I'm and interesting on our show, if you're caught with that mask under your nose or under your chin, you get sent home. That's great. Immediately. Yeah. Oh. And if you do it three times, you're fired. Wow. Because <laughs> we all want to work. Yeah. We all want to work. Yeah. I, I was going to so say, I was going to say, you know, in this past year, uh, as a teacher, I would, I, no doubt I would get sick uh, at least twice a year where I'd have to go on antibiotics, right? To the point where, mm-hmm. because of all the germs that get spread. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood, I haven't been sick once this entire time. And, and, and you think about wearing a mask, washing your hands, all the things. Mm-hmm. Forget the mask part for a second, but talking to little kids about washing your hands, coughing into your elbow, like all the mm-hmm. the things, quote unquote, we tell our kids to do. <laughs> and then the yeah. the mask part of it, if I can see kids who, who can be pretty fickle at times, obviously, and you're a parent, you know about that. Uh, yeah. if, if they can do it and it's not a big deal, it's like kind of, it's a universal no-brainer in my opinion. I, you know... The other part of the election that is kind of disturbing is that like 70 million people actually wanted four more years of this crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's disturbing to me. But also, like, what is it with American fascination with, quote unquote, freedom? (laughs) You know, 
my freedom to say whatever I want, do whatever I want, and not consider anybody else because I don't want, I don't feel like it. Like, yeah. I just, what, what, what happened to us? You know, I, I was in a movie, the movie Midway, yeah. Roland Emmerich's Midway. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good movie, actually. Uh, absolutely historically accurate, incredible. But what I took away from that film and from my research in the time, you know, at that time in our world, America was up against it big time. Mm. You know, we, we, you know, you know, uh, Philip K. Dick's, you know, <laughs> you know, hypothesis or, 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 or conjuring the fact that we could have the Japanese on the west coast and the Germans on the east coast, and we're all stuck in the middle. Like that, that, that could very well have happened. Could have happened. Yeah. Mm. And the world was on fire then. And what happened as Americans? We, we, we got together. We came together. People did without. You know? They, 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 they stopped making pennies because we needed to have the copper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, so what is with us now? Like, you know, we, you know, and, and yes, and that generation was the greatest generation hmm. because they did sacrifice for the good of the people. And everyone came together. So... Time to come together, people, and 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 be American. It, it can't be they and them, or us us and they. It, it, it has to stop. My my wife is uh, uh I, I can probably say this is is a manager at, at Trader Joe's at a Trader Joe's mm-hmm. up here in uh, Eugene, Oregon. And you know, yeah, she she is on the front line of of a lot of this stuff. But at the same mm-hmm. time, to, to spin it positively, a lot of people do thank them for how good of a job you know the, that they're doing at the store. But there are you know those one or two people that just lose their minds like why are you mm-hmm. losing your it's just a mask you know yeah. as a as a child of the 80s growing up watching gi joe and cobra i've been waiting my entire life to wear a mask i'm fine <laughs> with this so you know it's, i don't see i don't see what the big deal is but yeah you're right and and people do need to sometimes get their heads out of their butts and just and also yeah. treat the treat the employees that are working at these stores they didn't make the rules you know don't take it out on them yeah my, my... Uh, ab- Absolutely. My dad is yeah. a uh, is a former Navy SEAL and and mm-hmm. firefighter and just all around badass. And uh, you know, for predominantly all his life, he's been a pretty staunch Republican. And you know, parties aside, he's he's broken down the very same way. He's like, you know, think about the sacrifices that <laughs> this is considered a sacrifice for some people. Let me tell you about sacrifices. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. he doesn't yeah. talk about his time. Uh, in the military all that often. And now that my son is... Did he serve in Vietnam? He did. He did. Mm-hmm. I actually just found that out recently because he didn't talk to me about it when I was a kid, but now he's telling wow. my gra- my, his grandson all the stories, you know. And I'm like, wait, Dad, you, you did? <laughs> that was... Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more, you know. And and it's... it's Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, obviously Corey's wife, like you think about people who are on the front lines having to do this day in and day out. You know, um, yeah, and and, and and a person working at a grocery store having to wear a mask for yeah. eight hours a day and not complaining because that's what they got to get up and do every day. You know, yeah, yeah, and and and, and, they... and, and our nurses and yeah, doctors, exactly. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Diane. I know we're supposed to be talking about movies and <laughs> well, stuff, but, no, it, but was, it's uh, just I was going to say it's so fresh in all of our minds. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say you know survival quest. No, I'm kidding. Um... <laughs> yeah. Talk about survival well, quest. I, I will say, I'll okay, talk about that because you talked about you talked about your you know your three favorite films, and I said, oh, one of them's got to be RoboCop too, right? No, um, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, but but we, we 
Survival Quest is one of. The, by, by the way, if a movie needed to have a deluxe Blu-ray edition, you know, special, that's a movie that needs to be out for people to see because it's pretty much impossible to find other than you know versions on YouTube here and there. Um, right. But Don Coscarelli, who I'm a huge fan of because of his Phantasm movies and his yeah. even his stuff before Phantasm, right around the same time, Kenny and Company and. Uh, Bubba Hotep and you know uh, his his entire catalog is great, but Survival Quest comes along in in the late eighties. Um, I've always been a fan of outdoor survival movies, and and this movie I remember changed my life when I saw it because I just thought it was so badass. Um, mm. And and you, it again working with a cast that is phenomenal. Can you can you talk a little, bit of, a little bit about Survival Quest? Deep in the forest. See you guys in four weeks. Six people in a wilderness survival school. Welcome to Survival Quest. Look around you. The guy next to you just might have to save your life. In the wilderness, you're going to face many difficult moments. It can only be solved by the group working together. Survival Quest is a series of challenges. Which one of you are going to solo for three days alone? All alone. They will be pushed to their limits to survive. Right now, it's you and me. Yeah, you're right, it is you and me. Survival in the wilderness is a matter of heart, not hardware. Survival Quest, a film by Don Coscarelli. Yeah, man, it was like, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, Bill Paxton, God bless him and God rest his soul. Uh, he's, he's the one responsible for me coming to LA. I was living in England. My son was very young. Uh, Billy would call me once a week. I'm not exaggerating. Mark, you got to come, dude. This is going to be incredible, man. You can't miss it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Bill, but you know, my, my son and you know, I'm here and I'm doing other work. And he's like, oh, Mark, come on. And he eventually was like, I'll give you my apartment. You, you got to come. <laughs> so I said, all right, Bill, Bill. I, I booked the flight. I booked the flight. And God bless him, you know, Bill. He wouldn't stop. And sure enough, he let me stay in his apartment. And w what a tremendous support. But within five days of coming out for the premiere, here I am, Lance, they were still looking for the role. Lance was already cast. And Lance said, hey, look, uh, you know, are you going back to England really quick? I said, no, I'm staying for a bit. And. He said, well, you know, I want you to meet the Don Coscarelli and met with Don and read for him and boom, there I am starring in a movie with Lance Henriksen and, uh, and uh, Catherine Keener and Dermot Mulrooney and yeah. Paul Provenza and the list goes, I mean, what a cast. I yeah. mean, all these young actors that went on to become, you know, major stars. It's just absolutely incredible. And uh, what, a, what a fun shoot as well. I mean, just being out in the wilderness. God, I'll never forget the day that I had been dead and there was a scene going on and I had to be dead in the background. Yeah. And we were like 8,000 feet up in the Angeles Crest Mountains and I'm face down in these pine needles and I just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was dead, so I just fell asleep. And it was Why just is that like, dead body snoring? <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, what a time. And uh uh, you know, I, I, I never went back to England. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sad that I lost my first family. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still in touch with my ex. And of course my son, um, is a tremendous film producer and, um, 
he's just an all around amazing kid mm. um, and father now himself. So, uh, but yeah, um, that, that was really like, I guess would help me get a foot in the door uh, in Hollywood. It's a great so one. Thanks Don. And yeah. Thanks Lance. Yeah, that yeah that movie to me, you know, it was you know it was you know not a twist necessarily, but like Steve Anton, you know, ends up Steve, yeah, who yeah, Steve, I, I used to, I, Steve didn't have a car then. I would pick him up and drive him there and drive him home. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he and bro- now Steve's a he's a very successful producer now, right? Yeah. What and what I mean, he initially broke my heart in uh, Last American Virgin, and then and then uh, people might not re- for, remember the fact that he was uh, Jesse's girl, the boyfriend and Jesse's girl, who uh, Rick Springfield <laughs> wants to mm. take away from. But <laughs> like, how dare this guy just kill the people I look up to and break hearts? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think funny. Survival Quest is definitely a film that people should revisit, and it, it needs to get its proper due. Don Coscarelli is such a—he seems—he seems like such a fun filmmaker. Like he really allows you to uh, kind of just have fun when you're shooting. Yeah, no, absolutely. We uh, all around great guy, great soul, uh, very creative. Um, yeah, and, and he was. He's, he was more than happy for you as the actor to really go to the nth degree in creating your role. And, uh, and, and then Lance, of course, you know, is probably the master of that. Like Lance, he's next to Nick Nolte, but uh, I've never seen actors like delve so deeply into whatever the role is. But, uh, you know, I, I, like, I thought Lance's work as Bishop was mm. just astounding. I mean... I mean, you absolutely believe this guy was an android. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary performance, I think. He was at a um, Fangoria uh, convention years ago, and they were doing a, mm. a cast um, reunion for uh, Near Dark. And he told a story about on set of Near Dark uh, being in full character and a police officer coming up to him. And uh, <laughs> you know, pulled the, the police officer pulled the car over because the taillight was out. And he winds the window down, and the cop just looks at him. He's like, "Is there a problem, officer?" And the cop <laughs> looked at him and says, "No, sir. You just uh, you drive safe now." And went back to- <laughs> I think oh, Bill Bill told that story. I think Bill Paxton might have been there. I don't know. I'm trying to remember now. But Lance definitely <laughs> told that story. But and then Bill was in the car with him, and Bill was like, "Come on, man, that was crazy," you know. <laughs> so getting back to RoboCop two. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I will. T- no, you know that 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 was that was a sore point for me, man. Because I had <laughs> you and Tom I, I had done <laughs> Yeah, I had done a lot of work on that movie, and and I'm, I shouldn't say it, but the person I worked with most often was so god awful. <laughs> when I when I when I went to the premiere of it, Erwin, uh, um, the director, Erwin. Uh, Kirshner. No. Kirshner, yeah, Kirshner. He comes up to me and he goes, he goes, listen, he said, you're going to be very, very disappointed. I just want to let you know, but yeah, I thought your work was great. And oh, I gosh. Thought, shut the fuck. You're saying this to me, <laughs> At the premiere? Saying this to me, me before a premiere? <laughs> and sure enough, oh, man, shit. like so much of what we did was just, it was cut. Oh. cut. And that's always, a, that's always a hard thing for an actor. You know, I remember I did... Um, a movie called Hard Rain, yeah, which was an amazing cast with Ed and Asner, Ed Asner, Betty White, <laughs> yeah. uh, Morgan Freeman, yeah. 
uh, Randy Quaid. I mean, go on Christian Slater, Mini Driver, go on and on and on. But what happened was, was, you know, and I I did this scene where I raped Mini Driver. And, uh, you know, uh, that production company let us come and see the dailies. And I went in and it's like, oh, my God, some of the best, best close up takes. I I wouldn't say ever did, but really, really hot stuff. Mm-hmm. And people, we were walking out of the dailies and the crew were like saying, dude, that was fucking awesome. That was scary. <laughs> and so then what happens is, is they showed the film to a focus group of, of women and the women uniformly didn't, obviously because we're depicting rape, but they didn't yeah. like the scene at all. Mm-hmm. And then I got, I got invited to come see the film before the premiere. And the director never told me. And I'm sitting there and it was like, oh my God. And I was so rocked because like, you know, I thought it was some of my best work to date. And I went home and I walked through the front door, I swear to you. I was bawling. I had snot running out of my nose. Oh no. And my wife was like, like, what is going on? I said, they fucking cut the part out of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, just, oh. I was beside myself. Oh. So, so how, like, like, like actors, you know, it's, it's. I, I know it, it, it sounds petty, but no, because it happens to everybody. But um, yeah, that's that's probably the hardest thing to take as an actor is being cut out. Now, I have to say, it's rarely happened to me, but that that particular movie hurt because the original script, The Flood. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was the best adult heist movie oh it was raw it was just raw and then of course the studio gets involved and they decide to homogenize the whole mm-hmm. thing and turn it into a, a romance it's like what mm-hmm. it's not a romance no. this is a heist movie well i think anyway. that, i think that's <laughs> i think that going back to shawshank i think that's why that's an important point to make is that typically so many of these movies do come out and you're like wait what I remember do, watching or making is not what ended up on screen. What I, yeah. but, but you look at a movie like Shawshank, and I think, again, that movie stands out so much, so much yeah. more than, and not to knock Forrest Gump, but I think it stands out way more than that. Um, just I mean, in, look, I mean, I don't know about you. I watched Forrest Gump once. Me too. And that, and I, that was it. enough. That, that that's it. Enough. I've seen I've seen Forrest Gump once. I've seen Shawshank Redemptions like a hundred times. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> and you and you look at yeah. that, and you don't feel like anything was neglected in that film, down Dude. to just you know a hair on a desk or something. Yes, right. Yes, it was the all the nuance, nuance and detail, and Frank Darabont's kind of amazing, and he did an amazing job directing, and. And you know, I, I like I I will not. I, I'll admit this here on your show only. First time I've ever admitted. I will never watch the sh- movie again, oh. and I'll tell you why. Because I too, you know, you'd be flipping through the channels one afternoon, and boom, there's Shawshank. And sure enough, you if you watch one minute of that film, you're watching the rest of it. I don't totally, care yep. where it is. Yep. <laughs> and yep. my wife used to come into the room and she'd go, "Oh my god." <laughs> You're you're not watching that again. I said, I, I, honey, I I I I started. I just couldn't help it. I was watching the scene, and next thing I know, it's like she's like, oh wow. And then sure enough, we had a 25 year anniversary screening at the DGA. I was there. And at, were you there? Yeah, I was there. I still have the. Uh, they oh, gave out these cool, the cool little like mini poster, like a uh, flyer yeah. or something. I still have mine. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then, you know, it was amazing. Mel yep. Brooks was there. Yep. Carl Reiner, I met the two of them. And it was so perfect. It was. That I just told my wife, I said, I'm never watching it again because what better time I saw it on a full screen with amazing sound with the entire cast. Mm. It's never going to get better than this. So there you are. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a hot blooded crime of passion. Consider this a revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back, one for each of your victims. So be it. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me, God! the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Andy came to Shawshank Prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside they can't touch. What are talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Yes, it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. That's damn right. Well, that's a that's a nice way Perfect. to wrap up. I will I will say really quick the soundtrack. Um, uh, I used oh. to play that when I was studying oh. or you know in school for for in college or whatever. Thomas Newman. Yeah, that that's into this extraordinary. Day. My son who loves soundtrack scores as well. He's like, "What's your favorite score to listen to?" I said, "To, to relax mm. to." He goes, "Yeah," and I put it on, and he's like, "This is really good." I said, "Yeah." He goes, yeah. When, "When can I watch this?" I said, "Around the same time you can watch Aliens." So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a funny thing because my son, I didn't allow my son to see it until he was like fifteen. Well, yeah, I probably and when be. he did finally watch it. I said, listen, you know, I want you to enjoy this, and I want you to know that nothing about this character is like your father, okay? <laughs> this is a character that I created. It was a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. <laughs> I love it. Now look at Drake, and that's exactly how I am. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. This is the last anecdote I have to tell you. Please. I have to tell you. Yeah. So, um, so when I was on the first time I went into audition for uh, uh, Shawshank, I had a brief meeting with uh, Deborah Aquila, fabulous casting director, prior to meeting uh, the producer and uh, Frank, and she said, "So, look, um, you know, which which part do you want to audition for?" I said, "Well, I, you know, I really want to have a shot at Hadley." Hmm. She went, "No," she said, "No." I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I, I could kill it." She goes, no, he already has somebody else in mind. I said, well, yeah, but read me. Come on. And she was like, Mark, read Bog. I was like, really? She goes, trust me, just read Bog. Okay. So as I'm waiting outside, waiting to go in to meet Frank and Nikki Marvin, 
Frank is a long hallway, and he keeps passing through the hallway as if from one office to another. But every time he comes into the hallway, he's looking down at me. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? And he keeps doing it. And then when I finally get in the room, he's all, he's all nerdy geeked out. And he's like, dude, I have to say, like, you're Drake. You're Drake. You're, you're really Drake. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was. And he was, Frank was so uh, geeked out about aliens. He loved it. In fact, I gave, I gave him my one sheet framed poster wow i wow. gave it to him as a present yeah he, he went full fanboy on you <laughs> total fanboy oh man he was geeking out hard time but i didn't know until i got in the room like that that was the director i just thought it was some i didn't know they were geeking out on me i just thought the person maybe had some issue wow <laughs> wow <laughs> but anyway oh, well from, I, thought, I thought you'd appreciate that anecdote well yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from, from from uh one fanboy from one fanboy moment with uh frank darabont to two fanboy moments with Corey and i um yeah. man mark yeah. this is this Thank is you. fantastic like cool Really an honor Thanks, to guys. have you on our show and speak with you about so much and 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 also come to a, a place of joy and and hope and upliftedness. So um yeah. thank you for raising yeah. our spirits and hey looking forward I'm to, glad I did. Looking forward to seeing you down the road in person someday. And um, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll put together a survival quest screening for podcasting oh, after wouldn't dark. Wouldn't that be fun? There, <laughs> oh my god. Are, you're in LA, right? Are you in LA? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I don't know if you're familiar with a video store called Vidiots in um, it's now in Silver Lake, but it used to be in Santa Monica. And, oh, okay. Uh, they they are before the pandemic hit, they were in the process of creating a screening room uh, space where they would. Oh. It's a retro video store, but so my uh, one of my pipe dreams, and Corey and I actually talked about this before everything hit, was down the row with our podcast growing and getting bigger, doing screenings and doing like a little mini cast reunion. Yeah. And, uh, oh, know. that would be cool. Yeah. So, you know, keep that in mind down the road. Uh, <laughs> oh, please be in touch. I'd, I'd, I'd love to attend and that would be great. And um, thanks for this opportunity too. I uh, hope a lot of people hear it. We yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that's always the intention, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. yeah. We, and, but uh, and, and next time I'm in Maryland, uh, I'll, I'll you know cheers a, a glass of Yingling to you, buddy, and uh, have, have a, a Yingling crab cake or you. or you could have a Pabst or a Natty uh, Bow. Yes, could have a Natty Bow. That, that is true. That is true. <laughs> but uh, we'll, hopefully we'll enjoy uh, crab cakes together one day. <laughs> oh, that would be okay. That would be awesome. That would be. <laughs> All right, Marilyn. Thanks so much. Oh, All yeah. the best. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> All right, guys. Be well. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Talk to you All soon. Okay. Right. Please do. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Mark Ralston. And, as always... Thank you for your support.
October 31st, 1981. It's the night of the party at Jerry's Arcade. It's the night all the kids have been waiting for. It's the night they have been waiting for. There's a new game at the arcade. It's killer. Polybius. From David Irons, the writer of Nightwaves, the real terror begins. Polybius. Available now from Severed Press. <laughs>